we're going to be back in Acts. And we're going to be um, in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, which I know right now you're thinking, oh, dear God, two chapters. We're going to be here forever, right? But I promise it'll go quickly. Um, but today we're talking about key moments, key moments. Um, and so in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to talk one, like with a couple people around you. And if you want to go get some coffee, that'd be a great chance to do it. So here's what I want you to talk about in your little groups, okay, in twos or threes. I was wondering, what are some key moments in your life? What are, some, what are some things that happened in your life that were key moments? And right now you're thinking, what's a key moment? Um, everybody think about a key. What does a key do? It opens, it unlocks, right? So key moments in our lives are those moments that open the door to maybe a different direction, a new direction. So, um, hey, having a baby, that's a key moment. Because you open the door to a whole world of no sleep. Right? It's a key moment. Like when we, were, when we found out we were pregnant with twins, we're, I remember we were eating in a restaurant and we were talking with our whole family about, hey, we're going to have twins. We're so excited. And there was this lady next to, at the table next to us and she, she heard us. She goes, so you're having twins? And I said, yeah. She said, sleep now. That's all she said. <laughs> and then she, then she turned around and kept eating. It was like, what? <laughs> so about what, three months into the pregnancy when we had had no sleep and I, well, I, went, I went, do you remember that lady? She was brilliant. We should have slept then, right? So having a baby, first child. Uh, second, third, fourth child, not so much because you're like, been there, done that, got the shirts and all that, and we'll just hand them down. Well, we used to love her. It's just not, you're already not sleeping. You can't not sleep more. So new jobs. A new job would be a key moment, right? Um, what about getting married? <laughs> all, the, all the people are like, yeah, I went from being single to not having fun anymore. It was awesome. <laughs> then you don't know what marriage is about because yesterday was my 22nd anniversary and I'm having a blast being married to that woman. Yeah. We, we used to, um, we would regularly be around people and they would say, y'all are so happy together. And we'd say, well, yeah, we're in love. And they'd go, just give us some time. You ever had that happen if you're, if you're kind of newly married? You always have people that say stuff like that. Well, oh, so you must be newlyweds. So our classic response to that was, I'm really sorry you have a bad marriage, but we like ours. <laughs> they just stop talking to you all together at that point, don't they? Um, hey, um, getting a new car. That's, that's a whole new world, right? Opens up gas payments, insurance payments. You get the new car smell. That's good. It doesn't last nearly as long as the gas payments and the insurance payments, but still. So take a minute, just a couple minutes, one, two, three, four, five minutes, whatever, and just and people next to you that you know. I mean, you don't have to walk up to a total stranger and do this, but just talk to people about key moments, key moments in your life. What are some of the key moments that you've had in your life? This is your chance to talk, and if you want some more coffee, go for it. All right, so we got some good key moments. Um, I know we, we can't pass the mic around, but I will say that um, I heard about a coma. A coma would be a key moment, right? Also, Michael told me it was a key moment when he heard me speak. I thought that was impressive. I want to mention that into the microphone because we're recording this so all the world can hear. Um, we're in Acts chapter 10 this morning, and we are talking about a key moment in the life of the early church. And i got to be totally honest with you guys. This has been a bear of a message to figure out. Um, so we're going to take the easy road right now. And I, you, if you've got a sheet of paper at the top of that sheet of paper, 
you've got a couple blanks to fill out for the main, the big idea. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give you the big idea, and then we're going to teach to that, okay? I want to make sure, because it's quite possible today, this could be the worst message I've ever taught in my whole life. Aren't you glad you're here today? You're like, I don't know, Paul, you've done some pretty bad ones, so... Um, but I want to make sure at least you get this, okay? So here's the, here's the big idea for today. The key, ah, there's that word key, because we're, we're talking about a key moment in the life of the church, and if I teach it correctly, it's going to be a key moment in our lives as well, okay? <laughs> That's the part I'm not so confident about. Here we go. The key, the key to being seen differently is seeing differently. It's one of those big ideas that you just go, that sounds so different deep i hope it is we'll find out won't we let me say it again the key to being seen differently is seeing differently let's say it together shall we the key to being seen differently is seeing differently awesome let's say it again no i'm just kidding so we're talking about about being seen differently, okay? Um, now I've got to be I've got to get to the end of chapter 11. There's one verse at the end of chapter 11, um, and we'll, that's where the the main meat of this whole thing is. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to kind of like wrap a present. We're putting the tape on the box because you ain't got to tape the box, right? You make it hard for people to open. And then you got to put the wrapping paper on it, and you got to put the ribbon, and you got to put the bow. The bow today is the verse at the end of Acts chapter 11. Don't turn there yet. I see how you are. Don't turn there yet. But if we don't get to that, we've got to go through some stuff to get there. And if we don't go through the stuff, then when we get there, it won't make any sense. And you'll walk out going, that was an awesome big idea. And somebody will say, what does it mean? And you'll be like, I have no idea. I have no idea what it means when he says the key to being seen differently is seeing differently. But I promise, if I do a good job, we get to the end, we put the bow on top, you'll be like, oh, I see it. Okay? So here we go. We're going to take a big, big chunk of Scripture. We're going to talk about, number one, the dreams. We're in Acts chapter 10. This entire chapter is about dreams. Let me give you the storyline of Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. This is very simplistic, but here's what it is. Jews love God. God loves Jews. God loves Gentiles. Jews don't love Gentiles. That's it. That's Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, right there. The whole thing. Those four short sentences. Jews love God, God loves Jews, God loves Gentiles, Jews don't love Gentiles. And this is a problem. Why is this a problem? Because in the beginning of Acts, God told the church to go where? Remember? Did he tell them to go just to their church or to go where? To the ends of the earth. So if they're going to the ends of the earth, chances are along the way they are at least tripping over Gentiles. And they don't like them. So they're not just tripping over them. They're kicking them as they go past them. Okay? So God says, hey, Jewish early church, go to the Gentiles and tell them that Jesus died for them. And the church is like, sure, got it, hanging out together with the Jews. Because they only really like themselves. And before we say that they're terrible, we're the same way. Have you been in churches? Well, not this one. This is a little different, right? This is the church you wanted to be in all your life. 
Because you've always sat in churches when it got during the sermon, and you always thought to yourself, if I could just get up and get a cup of coffee right now, that'd be awesome. And now you can, right? We're, we're a very colorful church. I love that. You know, we're not all middle-aged white guys. Hallelujah. Some of you can jump. It's awesome, right? We're different. I love that. But for the most part, as a church in America, we love ourselves. Okay? And that's a problem. So God has commanded the church to go to the ends of the earth, hang out with Gentiles, tell them that God loves them, and they're like, no. Hold on. We're upgraded. We fire trucks now. We usually have the four-wheeled cart thing. It's awesome. See, I told you, we're a church like no other church anywhere. Like, people are watching this online. You know what, like, our, our videos have been seen in 54 countries. Isn't that crazy? So somebody is in Sri Lanka watching this message going, why do they always look that way and laugh, right? <laughs> you got to come here and see. Okay, so here, this whole thing, this whole chapter, chapter 10 and chapter 11, is how God deals with the problem of a church that's not quite willing to go. All right? Just making sure you follow me. So... Let's break chapter 10 into four sections. Here they are. Cornelius has a dream. Peter has a dream. Peter's dream comes true. Cornelius' dream comes true. Now, all this is under number one, number, under dream. So let me just give you the real quick sketch of what's going on in chapter 10. First, Cornelius has a dream. Cornelius is a Gentile, so do the Jews like him? No. Okay, so for our purposes, let's just say this, that there's a circle, right, and inside that circle are the Jews, because God loves the Jews, and the Jews love that God loves them. But then there are people that are outside the circle, and Cornelius is one of them, okay? Because he's a Gentile. Ugh. There's no way God could love the Gentiles, and even if he does, he can only do it because he's God, and I'm a Jewish dude, and I don't like him, so I'm not going to, uh-uh, no. So he's out, Cornelius is outside the circle. He has a dream. He's praying at three in the afternoon which I think is interesting. He's a devout Gentile. The Bible calls him a God-fearing Gentile. God-fearing Gentiles, those are the people in our culture that if you ask them, do you love Jesus, they'll say, uh-huh, I think so, I go to church. Okay, that's a God-fearing Gentile because you kind of want to go, well, that's not going to get you to heaven, but it's a good step, right? Well, he's taking good steps. Maybe even taking better steps than some of the Jews were at that time. So he's, at three in the afternoon, he's praying, he's devout, he's searching. And in verse 5, God gives him a very clear vision. The angel, an angel appears and says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up to, as a memorial offering before God. I love that. I love a man who's not even a Jew is giving to the poor. Kind of puts us to shame. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. You think God was clear? I think so. So listen, you're going to go to Joppa. You're going to find a guy. His name is Simon. He's also named Peter. And don't get him confused with the Simon he's staying with because that's the Simon the Tanner. And his house is by the sea. This is a Gentile. He doesn't love Jesus. He has a, he has a dream. I have a dream. <laughs> I love it. So Peter has a dream. 
Cornelius, he sends three men to Joppa, um, which is about 30 miles south, just so you kind of know how this all plays out. 30 miles south. So while, it says in verse 9, about noon the following day, as those men are on their journey, Peter gets hungry. Because it's noon, right, guys? Going to get a... Wow, just me and you. Okay, whatever. Lunch is going to be great. So he goes up on the roof, because where do you go to pray? Oh, you're like, I don't know, wherever I am, the car, right? He goes up on the roof, because the roofs back in that day, they were flat, and you could walk right on top of them and hang out with Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I had a roof that I could easily access, that would be my prayer spot. I love, you ever just go up on a roof and just lay there? I mean, I do, and I start sliding. <laughs> then then I'm, I'm close to God, but not like in a devotion type way. It's more like, freaking out, right? Something about getting up on a roof, like when I go to India, one of my favorite things about where we, you know, we go to serve Koshi is you just walk up on the roof, and that's where they stir the milk to give the kids, and you're looking out over this entire city. I just love it. Something about roofs give you perspective, right? So Peter's up on the roof, he's hungry, and he has a dream. Three times. While he's praying, he has the same dream. He sees a sheet being let down from heaven. I mean, right there, I'm freaking, right? It's like, uh, God, I'm not, I'm not tired. I'm hungry. You've missed the point. God of the universe, oh, great one that you are. And so the sheet comes down, and then the four corners are let down, and he sees all kinds of animals, four-footed animals, birds, reptiles, all kinds of animals. And Peter, because he's a good Jew, everybody say good Jew, because he's a good Jew, says to God, uh, no thanks. God provides him something to eat. He's hungry, and he says, uh, no thanks, God, because I'm a good Jew, and I would never, ever eat that stuff. So we know this. Just look at verse 14. He says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. So we know just from his response that there's at least some impure and unclean stuff in the blanket, the sheet that came down from heaven. Now, I brought some pictures of some stuff that he possibly could have seen in the blanket. Go ahead, just some nasty old buggy crawly things. It, it may take a while. The computer's slow. I'm sorry. There's, there's one. Okay. Um, there's, there's a... Hey, who likes spiders? Who hates spiders? I <laughs> got you. It's fun. Um, do we have some more? Scorpion? Scorpion's nasty. And then my favorite here at the end is the tarantula. So um, let's just leave it there while I'll let you stare at him and all of his 800 eyes. So Peter sees this sheet come down, and he's hungry, and he's praying. He has a vision. And so he says, no, God, I would never eat that because to him these things are unclean, right? Now, we don't think this is unclean. We do think it's creepy and crawly, right? We, don't think it's, we wouldn't say that's unclean. We would just say, please remove it from me. But Peter had a vision not about unclean animals. The point of the vision that Peter was having was about the unclean people that God was getting ready to send him to. We'll get to that in just a minute. So I want you to think about something. Forget bugs. That's easy. What do you consider unclean in our culture? Here, I brought some examples. How many piercings does it take before as a church we say, now that's unclean? 
Here's another one. How much, how much hair color does it take before, as a church, we say, now that, you're unclean. And not just that you're unclean, but you're unclean in such a way that you're outside the circle and God could never get to you. Because he might love you, but I, as a good Jew, am not going to bring it to you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is where Peter was. Peter is praying on a roof about food and God has already given another man a vision the day before that there was a man named Simon at Simon the Tanner's house. His house is by the sea and you need to go send people to get him because he's going to come back. He has something to say to you. And God already knows if I send these guys and they knock on his door and he opens the door and he sees, let's go to the next one. That he's shutting the door. And can I just ask you honestly, is he the only one? If he knocks on your door and says, uh, excuse me, God sent me, are you inviting him in? Or are you closing the door and saying, dude, I don't know what God you're talking about, but not the one I serve. I'm preaching this well because it's very quiet. We're teaching this very well. See, Peter would have had the same reaction you and I would have. Because in Peter's mind, that was unclean. And not just unclean, I can't be a part of that. And we've not even gotten to the good one. The next one's the good one. Ah. Now, we're talking. Now, am I standing here saying that homosexuality is okay with God? No. Am I saying that a church in America has pretty much said, if you're gay, we can never bring the gospel to you? Yes. Because in our good Jew mind, that's unclean. Not just the act, but those guys, they're unclean. But what do we say all the time? If you're breathing, you're redeemable. So forget about creepy crawlies, right? Because we're not worried about bugs. What we're worried about is a culture full of people who are going to hell, who live very differently than we do, and we're called to take the gospel to them. So Peter has a dream. Peter's dream comes true. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, because he's just like us, uh, God, that was three times you let down creepy crawlies, and I don't know what that's about. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was, because they, they asked somebody, we're looking for Simon the Tanner, he lives by the sea, and they stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, verse 19, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so go up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for who has sent them? God. Does that change anything? <laughs> You're scared to answer. <laughs> if I say yes, do I have to take those guys to lunch? <laughs> Does it change anything if God sent them? Yes. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Here's what the men say. I love this. Verse 22. We've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a religious, he's a righteous and God-fearing man 
who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that we could hear what you have to say. So Peter invited the men in as his guests. So Peter's dream comes true. And in the next part of chapter 10 is that Cornelius' dream comes true. And that's from all the way from verse 24 to the end of the chapter. Peter arrives. Peter preaches Jesus. And look what happens at the end of the chapter, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, these words being 34 to 43, his whole message about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Who's all? All. It's all the people that were waiting. Now that blows my mind, okay? So we've got to go back to that verse because I want you to see this. Cornelius has a dream. He sends three men. As those men are going, walking 30 miles south, Peter has a vision. He has a dream. It times out perfectly that when his dream's over, knock on the door. God says, those are the men, let them in. So he lets them in. They go back. Now this is like, what, the third day now? They go back with, with the servants that Cornelius sent. And look what he finds when he gets to Cornelius' house. Um, verse 24. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Not only that, verse 27 says, when Peter went inside, he found a large gathering of people. So Cornelius sends out invitations, right? Hey, everybody come to my house tomorrow. Why? This dude named Peter's going to show up. Have you ever met him? No. Are you sure he's coming? Pretty. Does he know he's coming? Think so. What's he going to say? Don't know. Bring chips. It's going to be awesome. Right? But he, he had enough faith. To, I mean, I want you to see something. He's an unclean man. And how hungry is he for the gospel of Jesus Christ to change him and his life? He's so hungry that he has invited friends to come. He's so hungry he's willing to actually have them come to his house, set up a big party, and not have Peter show up. Which would have looked bad, right? Uh, dude, like where's the dude? I don't know. We'll wait. How many more days? Because I need to take a shower. And so do you. He's willing to risk all that. So let me just throw this out. And this is not even the point. Well, kind of. How many people, let's just say the whole world, how many people in the whole world are waiting on Peter? How many people in the whole world are unreached people groups waiting, tribes in Botswana, sitting in a semicircle because God's sending somebody and he's been telling you, and you're like, I ain't going. To Peter's credit, he went. To our discredit, we don't. Now, forget about the tribes in Botswana. Let's just talk about the people at Walmart. Which, they dress the same. See the Stanley County? Let's talk about the person you buy gas from who's tatted up, who has ears with holes so big you could probably put your debit card through it. Is, is it possible? Is it possible that they too are waiting? 
and we are not arriving. I know, go to a different church next week. They'll preach a better message, something like your best days are ahead of you. Well, they are, but only if you follow Jesus. Because your best days are supposed to also include Cornelius' best day. This is the gospel. And it's hard. It requires something of us. And I don't like to pay it. Do you? Well, y'all, y'all do. I'm the one that's, I'm preaching to me. I can tell. So Cornelius' dream comes true. At the end, all who heard it, that's all the people. That's the woman that you pay for your gas. It's the lady that checks you out at Walmart. It's the man who is, works for the cable company and never showed up when he was supposed to. It's the insurance agent who raises your rates every single year, and you know that he shouldn't. It's the lady that did not pull at the right time when the light turned green and stuck you at the yellow and you couldn't get on through. It cost you, hold, wait for it, an entire three extra minutes. And if you could have been judge and jury at that moment, she'd be in hell. Because you probably told her under your breath to go there. This is too honest. It's too hard. We'll get to the good stuff in a minute, right? This is the American church. Our hearts don't break. Because we're too busy staying in the circle. Loving people like us. And God is busy trying to convince a church to go out. So all these people heard the message. And the Holy Spirit came on them. Verse 45 is exactly what happens to us. I love this. The circumcised. That's um, Christians, right? That's the people that were they were Jews because they had to be circumcised. And do y'all know what that is or should we have a quick, a quick lesson? <laughs> hey, men, do you know what a circumcision is? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> it's painful. Thankfully, you're eight years old when it happens, right? There are some stories in the Bible when it happened to grown men and it didn't go well for them. So they're circumcised, right? Because that was actually the Jews believed that if you are following, if you're in the Jewish sect, you need to have this done. And that was the mark. Like, dude, pick a different mark, right? Like ice cream. If you're a Jew, you eat ice cream. I'm into, I'm into that, right? That, that was their mark. So all the circumcision... They were, who had come up here, were surprised. The Bible, my, word, my Bible says astonished. They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Don't you love the way they write this? Even on the Gentiles. Can't you hear them talking? Dude, the Holy Spirit, even on them. Have you ever seen somebody radically changed by the grace of God and you were surprised? Have you ever prayed for somebody and then seen that person changed and been surprised? That's us. Oh, God, save the whole world. Just let them save your husband. And you're like, what? You can't give the spirit to my husband. He's a jerk. But he does. Even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God whole nother message some other time. And Peter said this, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Key moment. 
Cornelius' dream comes true. So there's the dreams, that's number one. All that was number one. That was the longest one. And then, because there were dreams, of course, there's religious people involved, there has to be drama, right? So we've had the dreams, and now we have the drama. Chapter 11 is the drama. This is basically when we read the reaction of the early church to what we just read in Acts chapter 10, and this is where we see how close the early church came to stopping what became an incredible move of God. And here's what happens. Chapter 11, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God because you know this spread like wildfire, right? I mean, Terry is like a Michigan fan, right? You might be the only one. Is he the only Michigan fan in our church? Dude, you got to get some people saved that you know, right? you got to bring some Michigan people in here. Um, so, like, tomorrow night, if Michigan beats Louisville, are you excited? Yeah. He's, he's totally into it. Are you on Facebook saying something about it? Yeah. Is the word going to travel like wildfire? Uh-huh. Even down here in the south, right? It's going to go, like, Michigan fans everywhere. We won, we won, we won. That's what happened here, except it was in a bad way. All the church started hearing, Gentiles? What? I, don't, I thought you said Gentiles. The, the power of the Holy Spirit? Wait, wait, you heard Gentiles speaking in tongues? They got baptized? Gentiles. Homosexuals. You, what? Did they break up? You don't know, but they got saved. Really? They marked their bodies and they got, don't they know there's a verse in the Bible about that? Gentiles, saved, spread like wildfire, got all the way down to the holy religious Mecca of the day, Jerusalem. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, not the same ones that were with him in verse 45, what did they say in the NIV? Criticized him. <gasps> Shocking. Religious people criticizing each other. Hard to believe. Never been in a church like that. Ever. They criticized him. You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Now, if you're Peter, do you want to punch them in the face? Do you find yourself wanting to say things like, wait a second, hold on. They just, their whole life got turned around. Like they went from not following God to following God. They are actually followers of Jesus. We baptized them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They actually spoke in tongues, not southern, but in tongues. And you're asking me if we had a meal together? You ever want to say that to, to like leaders? You ever want to say to people that are leading the way in Christianity? Just like, dude, get your priorities straight. Maybe it's because I was a youth pastor for so long, but I've had this conversation where I've had to say to leaders, um, you're freaking out about what they're wearing? Like, they're not going to hell anymore. Am I missing something? It's the point to make them look good or be good for eternity. Confusing, very confusing. Now, to Peter's credit, he didn't punch him in the face which makes him better than me and probably you too. Peter actually had a conversation with them. Verse 4 says Peter began and explained 
everything to them precisely as it happened, which means this, he didn't leave anything out, and he starts there in verse 5, and he just shares the whole thing that we just read in chapter 10. I was hungry, had a vision, yada, 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 they, they knocked on the door, God said, don't call unclean what I've called clean, so I went with them, and here we are. Holy Spirit, tongues, weird stuff, it was awesome, and now here we are. That's the drama. Don't be surprised by it. I, I prayed as I prepared that my heart would be like Peter's, that I wouldn't get mad, that I wouldn't be sarcastic, because I have a tendency to do that sometimes. Sarcasm, it's my spiritual gift. <laughs> but just to be like Peter. And Peter was a hothead, but in this moment, he was not. He just took the time and explained. This is, what, this is what I saw Jesus do to people that you never thought it was possible he could reach. And so they made a decision. Number three, the decision. You've got the dreams. You've got the drama. Now you have the decision. See how they're all starting with D. Forget that. Verse 18 shows a decision that the early church made, and I'm so thankful and I really, some of you need to get this today, okay? I'm looking around to make sure everybody's looking at me and listening. Some of you, some of us, because I do it too, we have lived our whole lives carrying a chip against religious leaders. Okay? Because they didn't react the way we thought they should. And so if this was a story, if this was a story of, our, of our lives in verse, in chapter 11 at the beginning, when they criticized Peter, that would have been the end of the story. We say this a lot at the gathering. We, we're bad in America about judging people on a picture when he, we should judge them on a movie. So you, you ever had a bad picture taken of yourself? Yeah, like your license. Every time I have to pull my license out, I'm like, really, I'm not a pervert. Because <laughs> it, just, it just has that, like, you know, youth pastor arrested for sexual and it's just like it's just an awful picture i mean it's awful there he is yeah i knew he's gonna come by today it's awesome sri lanka gotta come visit um but it's an awful picture i mean it looks like it looks like an arrest picture but it's not i mean she said smile and i thought that did but somehow it just didn't turn out good <laughs> right y y you've got pictures like that well now forget about the picture thing about your life god what if people took pictures of your life at the worst possible moment I mean, I, told, I, I tell you my pictures. I don't hide them. Like, I've told you about screaming the verse at my son. I mean, I've got tons of moments where I would not have won father of the year or husband of the decade ever. I've got those moments. So do you. I mean, is that what you want to be judged by? So we judge everybody by their bad moments, but we want them to judge us by our whole life. Hypocrite, Right? What if they had done that to these leaders? You're going to hate me after today. I'm going to stand at the door. You're going to be like, that sucked, that sucked, that sucked. The truth, the truth, the truth. I didn't write the Bible. It's right here. If they had judged those leaders at the beginning of chapter 11 on their picture, a picture of, I don't care that they're saved, you, you ate with them? That's the worst possible picture for a religious leader. And if they, if they had judged them there, at verse 18, when they said, when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Peter never would have heard that. Peter would have lived his entire life ministering in anger. 
How many people do that today? We minister in anger. We're so mad at three pastors ago for speaking his mind in a bad moment. We took a picture and went, ha! Put that in my pocket. And I'll show everybody I know. What? Have you heard of grace? Grace allows even leaders to be wrong and then later say that they were sorry. I mean, to, to their credit, they saw a move of God and said, I don't understand it. I don't even know if I like it because those Gentile people smell bad. But God's doing something because even God, he poured out repentance on the Gentiles. That's good. So their decision, their decision was our big idea. The key to being seen differently is seeing differently. And their decision as a church was to see Gentiles differently. And I am begging you today, can we please at the gathering be a church that sees outsiders differently? Can we even not have the word outsider? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? If we just said, God just loves you. I mean, so this might be too close to home. How do you know someone's racist? When they tell you they were talking to a black lawyer, right? Like, what? Like, they're just a lawyer, right? I mean, because they still see the color, right? I mean, I shouldn't say racist. That's a strong word. But they still see the color. Like, it's a totally unimportant detail. It's like us going, well, you know, they're, they're a person all, but they're an unbeliever. They're a person, right? We're just people. All of us. Well, could, the, could the day come? Now I feel like I am Martin Luther King. I have a dream. <laughs> could the day come when we don't talk like that anymore? When we simply see the world differently? How much credibility does the church have in the world today? On a scale of 0 to 100. Anybody in the negative numbers now? Yeah, 6. I mean, they've got no credibility, right? I mean, you talk to your friends. You invite them to come to church, and they say stuff like, Church, what? Like, have you been to church? I've been to church once. Those people are crazy. They're HIPAA. And why is that? Well, one, because the world also judges on a snapshot, Right? But two, because they're right. We appear to say one thing and then live differently. The divorce rate is as high in the church as it is outside the church. Adultery is as high in the church as it is outside. Porn addiction is high in the church as it is outside the church. It, like at some point, because the world's smart, they kind of go, wait, like, I thought you're supposed to be different. We want them to see us differently. I'm a pastor, uh, and besides a pastor, I'm just sold out to Jesus. I want people to see my faith differently. I don't want them to judge me by anybody else's stuff. I want them to see me and say, there's a guy that is crazy about Jesus. Now, that's a church that they're passionate. I mean, they're so passionate that people that can't sing, sing out loud. They're crazy about Jesus. I want them to see us that way, but the truth of the matter is it's not on them to see me differently first. It's on me to see differently. And the key for them to seeing us differently is for us to see differently. And we're getting to the verse. We're getting to the verse, and you're going to be like, oh, the bow, amazing. Because right now you're just looking at me, you're going to stone me. 
Gentiles, they saw them as no longer unclean, but they saw them as people loved by God and wanted by God. So, you got the, the dreams, you got the drama, you got the decision, and number four is the difference. Because that's where we all are right now. So what difference did it make to the early church? According to Acts chapter 11, 19, not much. Again, why well, I love the Bible? Because God puts the bad stuff in there too. So they had this huge debate. Should the Gentiles be allowed to hear about the gospel? And they say yes and all this stuff. And the church leaders go, well, we were wrong. And yes, God's being poured out on the Gentiles. And the very next verse says this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, if you watch the Bible on History Channel, Stephen was the guy that Saul made sure he got killed in a stone. So after that happened, it's back in Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, the church poof, scattered. Because wouldn't you? Right? We talked about that. So they, they scattered. And it says right here, the people that scattered, they went as far as three places we can't read. Oh, well, I can say Cyprus and Antioch, but the other one, the P-Town. They went to P-Town. Telling the message to who? To who? Only to? What? Did you not hear what they just said? That the Holy Spirit is being poured out on Gentiles too? And now you have the nerve to go to places where Gentiles live and only tell the Jews? Now, who do we want to punch in the face? Who do we want to punch in the face now? Those believers, right? I mean, what are they doing? Made no difference to them at all. Thankfully, there was one group, verse 20. Some of them thank God for some. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. It turned into a huge revival. The next couple of verses, you'll read about it. Such a big deal that they had to bring reinforcements. So Barnabas and Saul came, and they ended up staying in Antioch for a whole year, teaching and preaching. The biggest difference, though, the biggest difference that was made is found in our verse. Here's the verse. Everybody say the verse. Acts 11:26. The end of that verse says this. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Everybody go, huh? Because I know you all know what it means. Let me explain it to you real quick. Christian means Christ-like. It literally means little Christ. This is like when people say to Parker, you must be Paul's son. And he goes, yeah, I look like him. Right? They were, they were called Christians. Somebody looked at them and said, wait a second, we've seen this before. You look like somebody. You, you look like Christ. Where were they called that? You're scared to say it because you you're going to say antioxidant. <laughs> Antioch, right? Not Jerusalem. They were called Christians in Antioch. We've been studying Acts, so we're up to Acts chapter 11. Here's some stuff that's happened so far. Pentecost, healings, miracles, preaching, thousands of people coming to know Jesus in one day. Do you understand something? I want to make sure you get this. All of that 
out of all that, no one ever saw all that and went, wait a second, you look like Jesus. Because when did they look like Christ the most? When they stepped outside the circle and started telling unclean Gentiles the good news of Jesus. I don't want, my goal is not for you to look at me and say I look like Jesus. But man, if I could run into somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus, and they said, you look like Jesus. They were first called Christians at Antioch in an ungodly city filled with ungodly people. The world saw the church differently than our world sees the church today. And why does the world not look at the church today and say that we're Christians? Well, one, we're not even around them, right? And two, if we are around them, like, where's the difference? But the key to being seen differently is seeing differently. So here's some takeaways. You can jot them anywhere you can on your paper. It is God's nature to accept. It is our nature to object. Everybody say, ouch. I hate takeaways sometimes because they're so true, right? But it's, it's God's nature to accept. So he's always doing this. Come on. Come on. And it's our nature to object. Wait a second. Hold on a minute here. You're one of those Gentile fellers. Don't be surprised when the people of God, that when the people that God sends you cause the people in the church to object. Don't be surprised by that. And don't get offended. Don't be defensive. Go back to Peter. Do what Peter did. Just explain. This is what's happening now. Quick story. I, I, I'm sure I've shared it with you before, but I want to make sure that I drive this one point home. Back when Marilyn Manson was a really big deal, he's so last decade. Or if you don't know who Marilyn Manson is, then it doesn't matter. But um, he was a guy that dressed really weird, um, really weird, lots of black, lots of mascara, and he was a singer, kind of. That's being nice, right? And he was all the rage, right? It's a big, 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 big deal. And I, I tell you about the guy that came to my church, and he went into our youth service, and during the middle of the youth service, he left, and we used to call him like our little Marilyn Manson because he dressed just like him, looked just like him, wanted to be just like him, and he went out inside, and he sat in the hall. And I went outside, and I sat next to him. I said, dude, are you okay? Did somebody say, did somebody say something to hurt your feelings? Because I knew how he was dressed. And he went, no, no. And I said, what? What is it? What is this? I can't go back in there. I said, why not? He said, because I'm an atheist. I've spent my entire high school career telling people there's no God, and he's in there. Great story, except for the fact that within two weeks, he was gone. Because the nicest, and I mean that literally, the nicest usher at our church told him he couldn't be outside, he had to be inside. And that's all it took. It is God's nature to accept. It is our nature to object. It is God's nature to include. It is our nature to exclude. I'm telling you this because the world is going to peek into our church and wonder what in the world's going on. You're going to run across people, this 
today as you're eating. Your server is not going to look like you. But he or she still needs the God that's come to you. He's calling us to a world that's very different than us. Thank goodness. And it's our nature to exclude. It's God's nature to include. It's easy to read just a couple verses. John eleven thirty five. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. John eleven thirty five says, uh, "New command I give you: love one another." First John four twenty talks about loving one another. Look, it's so easy to get caught up in loving each other that we miss other verses like this. I want to read this whole passage to you very quickly. Luke chapter six. Just jot it down. You can look it up later. Luke chapter six, verses thirty two to thirty six. Jesus said this to his disciples. Let me just preface this by saying we are supposed to love one another. Okay, look at the person next to you. We're supposed to get along with that person, right? If we're all believers, we're supposed to actually get along because God said if you love each other, that's how they'll know that you're my disciples. But I'm telling you right now, that's not the only goal. And there are some churches that are very, very friendly, very friendly with each other. They have made their goal to have unity with each other. And they have missed what Jesus says here to his disciples in Luke chapter 6. He says in verse 32, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Verse 35, But love your enemies. And Jesus says, don't just love them, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. And here's why. Because he, that's God, right? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. It's God's nature to accept, our nature to object. It's God's nature to include, it's our nature to exclude and if we want the world to see the church differently, we've got to see them differently too. It starts with us. The church has an image problem in America. And we are the ones that can change that. One of my favorite books is Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. It was published by InterVarsity Press, Rebecca Pippert, which is a great name. Everybody say Pippert. Oh, come on. Everybody say Pippert. Now wipe the spit off the person in front of you because you <laughs> out of the salt shaker into the world. And she tells this story as she closes her book. There was a church, and it was not like our church. It was actually in a church. It was in a building, pews, carpet, organ, the whole deal. It was one of those churches where God love them, they didn't ever breathe. Right? Very stuffy. Very, you didn't make noise. You didn't raise your hands there. You didn't smile. You didn't clap when people sang. It was very, very... Um, I'll say somber, they would say reverent. But that was the kind of church. Do you see what I'm talking about? You, you picture the church? Everybody dressed to the nines when they went to church. So they're all there, and it's packed. One day, it is packed house. And somewhere about five minutes into the service, the door opens, and this college kid walks in. And he's got no shoes, shorts, they're, t they're ragged. He's got long hair, big beard ugly shirt, smells bad, and he starts walking down the aisle, and he's looking for a seat. And everybody is watching. 
because he's going further and further down. And everybody knows what he doesn't know. They, they can see there's not a seat anywhere in that church for that kid. But he doesn't know that. So he keeps walking down, looking side to side, you know, awkward, trying to find his way. He gets down to the end, to the first row, and realizes there's not a seat left. Everybody's like, <laughs> see? So he just sat on the floor, cross-legged, right there. In a nanosecond, the usher, the old usher that wore a three-piece suit and had on a tie, was gray-haired, had been around a long time, started walking down the aisle. And everybody's like, check it out. He's going to get him. Mm-hmm. Teach you to sit on the floor. And that old man walked down to the front and sat next to that boy, cross-legged on the floor for the rest of the service. Let me tell you something. That young college kid saw that church differently because that old man saw that college kid differently. The key to being seen differently is seeing differently. Stop whining about how the world does or does not see the church and be different. See them differently. They are people who need the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, guess who's coming? The crazy people. <laughs> and I, for one, am so glad. Because I don't want a church that looks like me. I want good people, fun people. I want people that are not scared to say what they think. Because they're just trying to passionately follow Jesus. It all starts with one person being willing to see people differently. Because the key to being seen differently is seeing differently. And when that happens, wherever your Antioch is, guess what they're going to say about you there? They're going to first call you Christ-like in Antioch. Your Antioch could be the job. Your Antioch could be your marriage. Your Antioch could be class. Where's the most ungodly place you find yourself? That is the place that God wants the world to see such a difference in you that they would call you Christians there. The key to being seen differently is seeing differently.